Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, Cheryl Goldstein. Over to you, Cheryl. Thank you. Today is August 25th. I'm Cheryl Goldstein, EVP Member Engagement and Development here at the IAB. Welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Our topic for today's show is leadership and business transformation in a time of crisis with a special guest, Denise Torres, founder and CEO of The Ignited Company. Let me tell you a little bit about Denise. Uh, Denise is a consultant and former senior executive uh, at Johnson & Johnson, where she served as president of several companies and a chief strategy and business transformation officer for the medical device sector. She's recognized as a highly successful and inspiring leader with expertise in turnarounds and transformation. She's a phenom at building culture. Earlier, earlier this year, Denise launched the Ignited Company, a firm that specializes in identifying and igniting strengths and opportunities of individuals and companies. Denise is also my mentor, so I'd love to welcome Denise Torres to the screen. All right. Hi, Cheryl. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having so me. Here. Happy to have you. So happy to have you. If I had gone through all of your accomplishments and your background and everything you've done, that would have <laughs> taken up the entire conversation. Uh, I really am excited to have you here today, especially on this topic around business and personal transformation. I, I want to just start a little bit because for those that don't know you, your background is just incredible. You're a lawyer, you're an MBA. Uh, you've built an amazing career in a fairly conservative, uh, I would say not particularly diverse industry, and that's the pharma industry. So I'd love to have you just start, give a little overview yeah. of your background and how a woman, I'm going to call it the glass ceiling trifecta, woman, Hispanic, and LGBTQ was able to break triple glass ceilings and rise to a position of president and a key executive at a company as big as J&J. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, absolutely. Well, Cheryl, I would add the other one is I have a sixth grade sense of humor. So the, um, you know, starting off everyone, I actually grew up in Gary, Indiana, and my first uh, several jobs, I was a janitor in the steel mill. And so coming from probably like many of you, um, a blue collar, lower middle class background, I was wildly motivated by um, the desire to get out. And so, you know, it was somewhat of an oppressive background. And so I think, first of all, I started off with you know, this burning desire, but also plenty of people like you who said, you can't, you won't, you're not good at X. Because, you know, I do have 13 years of Catholic school. So I have the, you know, I have plenty of the guilt associated with that, but also, you know, the nuns that would say, you're not good at math, you're never going to go to college. And so, you know, that combination, um, Cheryl and group, uh, was really so powerful for me in terms of motivation. And I wish I could tell you, although it's even better to say that was the road uh, a clean one, you know, was it all, you know, sunshine and flowers? Hell no. It was just filled with failures and falling down and getting back up and discovering at first I didn't want to be a lawyer. And so what the hell was I going to do now? And so I think I had to learn in my twenties and thirties uh, the, the whole concept of, 
one foot in front of the other when times are incredibly challenging. So unbelievable tenacity. I think most people would have given up long ago and you spent all those years becoming a lawyer, go into law and go, eh, nah, don't like it. So you went back and got your MBA. So that's amazing that you, you know, could pivot, restart. So you're known as a Turner Brown transformation expert. And one of your big uh, accomplishments is what you're able to do at McNeil uh, with the Tylenol brand. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because that's such a great story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to talk about that. And one of the things, if I could um, share with the, the group too, is that, you know, you asked me about being the, the trifecta. And one of the, um, I think a lesson I want to share with everyone is that going into a corporate setting or a business setting or whatever it is and feeling like you don't belong, you know, what happens in those situations? And that's tough. I did not feel like I belonged for sure. And, you know, I wasn't out. I uh, was very, just so afraid that what would happen if people found out you know, that I had a girlfriend and, you know, it it was certainly not during the time of Ellen and, you know, a whole bunch, you know, the the, uh, Apple CEO and all of that. And I didn't even have anyone to look up to. And so I went through this journey and as Cheryl knows, I've shared with her as I call it the journey from self-acceptance to self-celebration. And that was many, many years of, you know, first getting outed. And then I went through a whole, if you don't mind uh, me telling a a story, this is, I so wanted to be my, you know, myself. And I promise this will tie into this other, uh, uh, the transformation. I so wanted to be myself. And the first, one of the first steps I took was I went to Outward Bound and I, you know, went on this, uh, um, this hiking trip and it was, it was brutal. I mean, we had 60 pound backpacks on, they were so heavy and uh, you know, girl from Gary, I'd I'd never really hiked before. And one of the um, things that they do in the middle of this, you know, seven day trip, they put you on a solo and you're by yourself 24 hours. So I get this incredibly beautiful place and I put my backpack down. I look around and I start to cry because I think, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. I've never seen anything so beautiful. So, you know, half hour goes by and I'm eating the M&Ms out of my bag, right? And I'm just left with like the nuts for the next 24 hours. And I start to cry for a whole nother reason. I start to cry because how heavy this backpack is that became very symbolic for things in my life. And, you know, I started just like visualizing all this stuff that was in my backpack. The fact that you know, I, I was afraid to be myself and carrying around other people's problems. And um, it was a big lesson for me about how was I going to go through life. And having that experience and then the experience of, you know, the idea of being gay in the workplace, I, one of the things that, uh, that I did at one point, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, Cheryl, but um, I said, you know what, I'm going to express myself. So I go to this diversity fair with my girlfriend, who's now my wife of 23 years. And I say, you know what? I'm going to put this sticker on my car. I'm going to put a diversity sticker on my car. So I look and I say, well, gosh, you know what? HRC, I don't think so. You know, someone might know what that is. And so then I just look at the, you know, the rainbow flag. I'm like, oh, certainly, you know, I think I'm being coy, right? So I, and first of all, I'm driving a, a black Subaru. So, you know, every, everything was like coming together. So I find this sticker, it doesn't have a name. 
So I'm like, this is a cool sticker. I've never seen it before. It really looks, you know. Um, it was the equal sign? It was that not. So it was something. Let me tell you what it was. So I put the sticker on, Cheryl. And, you know, I would drive down the road and uh, people would beep the horn. Beep you, and every once in a while, I'd be like, yeah, right on. I'm feeling like, yes, you know, like I'm part of something. I'm part of something here. And I really started to feel like, okay. So like four months later, Kim and I go on vacation to where? Of course, we go to Provincetown. We end up in this little shop and there's all these, you know, bumper stickers there. And Kim says to me, isn't that your bumper sticker? So I go across the room. Now this time they have all the names on the bumper stickers, right? So I look and sure as, you know, there, there's my bumper sticker. And you know what it said? S&M Pride. So this whole time I'm driving around, you know, with the sticker and as Seinfeld would say, not that there's anything wrong with that. It just wasn't me. And, you know, it was, you know, it was before, uh, you know, all the movies and stuff like that, but, you know, Shades of Grey and, and all of that. But, but that was a moment for me too. Like, oh, I'm trying so hard, you know, to express myself and what am I saying? So I had a series of these things that, you know, ultimately I had to laugh at myself well, and that brings me to cheryl the whole thing about transformation i had this incredible you know, the experience that i think only <laughs> someone who actually engaged in that themselves would probably know that so you might have been terribly but safe just, you know what though i'm like yeah right when people would beep the horn yes but so going back to uh at one point i had the opportunity at j and j and actually it was one of my final assignments at the company. And some of you may know that there was a, a, a time like eight or so-ish years ago. Um, it, it may have even started before that because uh, there were some challenges with manufacturing and quality. And the company, Johnson Johnson, actually entered into what was called a consent decree with the FDA to um, to really uh, improve our quality systems, et cetera. So the day or a couple of days after that's announced, you know, at the time I thought, well, who's going to get that job? And well, it was me. So I get the job. I'm terrified. Right. And uh, but at the same time, I'm excited. Uh, but for five years, I worked in uh, the organization and you think about and so much has to do with the things that you're talking about now you know, what transformation, you know, we had manufacturing transformation, quality systems, marketing, how we went to uh, the, uh, the customer. But underneath all of this, people, people creating a sense of belonging, um, the, the idea of connection, you know, handoffs, trust, how big is trust? And I would tell, you know, uh, uh, these incredible people that I worked with, listen, I don't care um, if you wear a shower curtain to work, as long as it's not clear. And so what I found was that, and I knew this from working, you know, I kind of have a history of working in, you know, more turnaround situations, but what I found over and over and over again, you know, and I have so many proof points that the idea of diversity and inclusion and equity, secret sauce, it's a secret sauce to being a leader, it's the secret sauce to being, you know, a high performing individual. And it's the secret sauce really to um, having an organization that can do incredible things in the midst of challenges. Is it easy? No. But the more that we can bring ourselves, and for me, self-acceptance and then self-celebration, because when I get up in front of the group, 
they would believe me because I was, you know, incredibly vulnerable. There were times when, you know, oh, I was so happy that I cried. And there were times that, you know, I was so disappointed that I cried. So some lessons within that. You did So listen, you asked me one question. I went on for 45 minutes. So now uh, we're at conclusion. It was good talking with you, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> so the transformation at Tylenol, what did you inherit and what was the outcome yeah. of you? Focusing on people, bringing in more inclusive, letting people be themselves. Yeah. What were the outcomes? Was, yeah. So the, you know, if, if I look at it and I, you know, often show this wheel of organizational effectiveness that starts with, is the, is the vision clear? Is, is the mission clear? Are the, you know, the, uh, the goals established and do we know what our priorities are and our key processes and our management decisions? And so going through what's our core capabilities you know, is our communication. So really having to approach all of those things. Some of the biggest challenges we had, well, the biggest challenge was we had to remove product from the shelf. So having to go to our big customers, our big retail customers and work with them during a period of what would turn out to be immense um, uncertainty when the products would come back, how they would come back, volume, et cetera. Now there were the consumers. So the consumers, would they lose trust in us because they would go to the shelf and, you know, where's my, you know, my kids Tylenol, you know, where's, where are these other, because it wasn't just Tylenol, it was a number of over-the-counter products. So that was a challenge of how do we rebuild trust and um, at this, can we even make things stronger? And so in the midst of these challenges, what's our source of competitive advantage? What was it in the past? And what did it need to be in the future and how to re reimagine ourselves? And then behind all of that, there were things, Cheryl, about, you know, building a state-of-the-art new plant, building new what we call quality processes and building new skills. You know, at, at the time, uh, you know, as everyone's facing, right, the, the marketing budgets, you got to do more with less. So being able to experiment, being able to take risks. You know, one of the products we had was, um, I love this, uh, is Zyrtec. And during the time we were going through some changes in people and I had, um, actually the Zyrtec team was uh, reported directly to me and it was so much fun because usually you'd have more of a senior person, but we were going through some personnel changes. And I said to the team, you know what, like, go, go wild, come up with some like incredible, you know, uh, some incredible idea. And so they had so much fun and they came up with this idea and it was about, you know, allergies muddle no more. Well, that's still going on today. So I look back at that team of just, you know, really empowering them and freeing them to use their talents and skills and saw how not only did they rise to the occasion, they did some incredible work. And so a number of these examples from a marketing standpoint, you know, where allowing people to experiment and to, um, you know, to take some risks. So the outcomes were, we worked through what was called the consent decree. We brought the product back. Our engagement scores went up significantly we had so few uh, uh, losses, you know, people stayed with us, even though they were working incredibly, uh, incredibly hard. And, you know, we built a new plant and, and then ultimately, you know, as I shared with, uh, you know, with a group is that someday you're going to be walking down, you know, the aisle of Walmart 
or CVS or Costco or whatever incredible store. And you're going to look at those products that once weren't there for a while. And you're going to say, I did that. So that sense of pride is something that I think, you know, everyone involved with that um, can carry with them today. Well, what I remember most about that whole situation, which has now become like a classic business school case example, was the honesty and the authenticity uh, that was put out to the consumer in the marketplace. It was really, I would say, one of the first times that a major brand said, our fault, we could do better, we're going to make this right, and didn't try to do a cover-up or pretend it wasn't yeah. there or risk the health, you know, you really hit it at head on where, you know, this is what's happening. Here's what we're going to do. Our bad, we're going to fix it. And I think it's that authenticity that resonated. And that was the world pre-social media. Today, you can't even possibly get away with hiding that kind of, you don't have a choice. People will call, yes, you, absolutely. Out. call you out. Yeah, you're so right, Cheryl, because there were a few times with uh, with Tylenol when people may remember the tampering case, you know, in a couple of situations. And so there've been several times in the history of Tylenol that there have been challenges. But what was really terrific was that, you know, the culture of Johnson & Johnson and the idea of do the right thing you know, was definitely pervasive all the way from the CEO to, you know, the senior leaders. And so, you know, I, that made it, uh, you know, we had the support there, but we, and, and not, but, and we had these incredible people who returned, who once worked at the, the company that were somewhere else in Johnson and Johnson and said, I want to come back. And so there were several leaders that came back because they were so passionate about, the products and the uh, the people of the company, and it was uh, the the theme song. I actually one night I you know I like to create my own presentations, and I found this song, and it was called "Comeback Kid," and the the words were "Here comes a comeback." the kid is back. And you know what? I played that thing for like four years with different visuals. And it really, it just felt that way that we were coming back and not just back, but in a way that was, you know, so much better than before. And, you know, I'm proud to say that that happened and the, the group there just keeps getting, you know, better and better. But it was so cool to be part of that because you test out principles that you believe to be true and find out that there's absolutely they are true about leading with love love you know because sometimes people say to me we're family and be like listen i don't know about you guys but families can be very dysfunctional right but if, if you think about like leading with love love is should be honest love is you know challenging love is supportive and as corny as that sounds i i really believe that um, you know, it's about accountability, about having a clear vision, and then believing it to be so. And that's true, whether it's a team or individuals, believe it to be so. And um, yeah. Yeah, so you, so that was an amazing story. And now you're getting called by other companies to help them adjust to this whole new world yeah. we're in right now. And not only do you advise them on what the company should be doing, but you also work with individuals to help them be their best self yeah. and how they can also transform. Why don't we start a little bit, what are companies asking you about and how are you advising them? And let's go to individuals. Let's start with the companies. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, from a company standpoint, you know, a lot of companies are struggling with you know, how to, um, how to thrive in these times of change. And, you know, for many organizations, all organizations need to do two things. One is to have 
a strategy that sets them apart. And then the second is you have to do it efficiently. So, you know, there are times when companies are stuck in this efficiency cycle, which means, you know, more cuts to budgets, you know, we have to lay off more people or move people over here. And then you've got this growth phase. So one of the challenges I think that many companies have is the, is the tension between the strategy and building to win and then the other aspect about efficiency. So those tensions. Then we pile on COVID. COVID-19 happens, it's, you know, we're working in a different way. And not only are we working, our customers are not going outside or uh, what they're doing is filling their needs in a much different way. So if they're filling their needs, you know, through Amazon or, you know, uh, Walmart, you know, uh, and you could see, and during this whole thing, wasn't it fascinating to see who could respond the fastest? Who could regroup and do more of the shop from home that they didn't have shop from home before, you know, to see what, what did Walmart do and Costco and Sam's and, you know, all of these groups. And then how did advertisers respond and what were the messages that we're using? And Cheryl, wasn't it something to see that in such a short period of time, when you started to see people without masks, you thought they don't get it. You know, if, if you see these commercials, I'm like, on your next vacation, and you think, well, who's going on vacation, man? You shouldn't be going on vacation. But yeah. overnight, the message And they had to had- shoot these commercials with no real production resources. You couldn't get crews together. You couldn't, you had to find yeah. the right kind of imagery and, you know, very child, the right tone. It was very challenging. Yes. So, so then you have your strategy, which, oh my gosh, what is it now? How do we change? How long is this going to last? Coupled with, and we have to do it efficiently. And then the third component, right, is people. How do we keep people engaged? Then of course we have incredible social unrest. And so with that, that impacts our, you know, customers, it impacts our, uh, you know, people that we work with. So we have a lot of unrest and how to make sense of that. And, you know, I I think some of the things here is, is there one lesson? No, there's not one lesson. It's, you know, try to, uh, it's a time for innovation, try things and fail fast. Um, Also to listen, command and control doesn't work really well uh, when we're trying to get in, you know, innovation. That's why diversity and inclusion is so important is that the idea of, you know, getting ideas and then being able to act on them. I think the other thing that, you know, companies are seeing is that how can they ramp up the ability to do things more quickly? So I I think that's something that's going to be an unintended positive from, you know, COVID-19 is that we have to redo some of our, you know, our systems and processes so that we can work more quickly. But Going back to your question, I think all companies are really trying to, or the majority of them are trying to figure out how to uh, harness the power of people. And um, that's so essential because, you know, without great talent that can use their skills to the fullest extent, those new solutions don't come and those new processes don't come. And um, so that's what uh, that's what I see a lot of. And, you know, do I think anyone has any one answer? No. Do I think some companies are doing amazing things? Absolutely. I mean, what we've seen 
and we've all seen, but we also work with a lot of brands. Um, and what we've seen is just the, the speed of innovation out of necessity has that been unbelievable. Sense. Even if you look at like GM, um, going from making cars, three weeks later, they're making ventilators. Like even they can't believe they were able to pivot on a, and turn around and you know be able to do that in a three weeks time. So I think we're all challenging our old way of thinking, saying yes. this process is necessary for X, Y, Z and saying, you know, uh -uh, speed, agility, what do we need to do to, you know, just even to survive right now? And you've got to be able to pivot and move quickly. So talk a little bit about um, personal transformation. You yeah. have a whole system, you do a lot of coaching, and I want to make sure we have time to talk about the mentoring place too. Sure. Yeah. why mentoring is important but let's go to like the steps um, that you coach individuals your advice on yeah. personal transformation i think the first is to accept what is understand what reality is and to accept that the thing that's not helpful is to mourn for what was last week or two weeks ago or what could have happened or the boss we could have had or the job that was promised to us but that's not going to get us anywhere. And the second is to, okay, if this is reality, what's my new, what's my new North star? You know, what, what is it that I stand for? Who am I? Cause you don't want to lose our values, but also you don't tamper down your dreams. It may be a different dream. And that is something that I've learned over and over and over again is that, you know, the, the power to be successful you know, sometimes it happens accidentally, but most times it doesn't. You know, there's a bit of luck about who I met or, you know, being in the right place at the right time. But ultimately, it does start with a belief in ourselves. And what can happen during times like this is that we start to, you know, have less confidence. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a step down. I'm going to do these things. You may have to do that, but that doesn't mean that you stay in that place. And so it's having the power. Uh, the resiliency and resiliency is so messy. We make it sound like it's this shiny thing, but it's hagen -Dazs. It's can't get my butt off the couch. It's I've been in the same clothes for three days, right? It's messy, but ultimately we get back up. So I think this thing, you know, don't live in the past. Uh, the, the, you know, the embrace what it is today, still dream. And then guess what you got to do? Go do it. You got to do the hard work. What I have found too that the uh, desire to connect has diminished for many people, right? Is that you're, we get used to, you know, I'm going to do my job, it's back to back to back. You know, I got Zoom, I got Microsoft Teams, I got this, I got to go to the bathroom, I got to eat, and boom, there's no time for social connection. We got to make that time. We have to make that time to reach out to others, um, to ask for things that we want, and be, you know, incredibly um, persistent. That's what I see for people that are thriving now. I learned a lesson, Cheryl, as, as, as you did, as you know, of, uh, and many people have had hardship in their life. But, you know, when my daughter was born uh, very ill and we found out she had um, cerebral palsy, we went for such a long period of time that I, you know, I, we didn't know what she had or what was going to come of it. And when, as the truth started to, you know, uh, unveil itself, you have this choice that you make oh my gosh, isn't this a terrible thing? Or, and I don't know, this naturally hit me maybe because I wanted that little girl more than anything. Gratitude, gratitude for what I have. Let's move on. Sure. Do you cry sometimes? Yes. 
But the overwhelming thing is, you know, how we frame our outlook on life, our jobs, on relationships makes all the difference. Excellent. I love that. Um, so quick about Mentoring Place, because I yeah. love what you're doing with that. And I want to make sure yeah, that absolutely. we talk about Mentoring Place. So you launched that about a year ago, maybe a little yeah, longer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? It's been a couple of years. And how it's doing. Yeah, it's doing great. So it started with a, just a whole give back. And I posted something on LinkedIn and said, hey, been very blessed. I'll mentor a few people. Well, I don't know how many people, hundred something, you know, women wrote back to me. I'm like, well, how the heck am I going to mentor a hundred something people? I couldn't. So I started doing like, you know, uh, like today's version of live streams, right. A few years ago and, you know, very amateurish. And then the next year, like 500 people and, you know, uh, it just kept on growing. So ultimately I, you know, um, I have a partner now and, um, uh, her name's Sandy Babe. And what we did was to say, Hey, this is a, this is a give back initiative. And what we do is we match women up with executive mentors. I also do some live streams and things like that. But the whole thing is, you know, is to connect women with other successful women and men. We're now having uh, men join for 12 weeks. You get a mentor. Why is this important? guess what? We don't know everything. None of us do. So we're trying to figure out what do I do in this situation? Asking for help is a driver of success, asking for insight, asking for experience. And so not only do you need some sponsors, those are people that are going to pull you up, but those mentors will tell you how, right? Yeah. How do you do X? And so, you know, everyone should have a whole slew of mentors. That's the goal of the mentoring place is to give some insights, to gain some, give some experience so that you can shorten the time to those painful uh, lessons learned. www.thementoringplace.com. I was just, I was just going to do the promo for you. Mentoringplace.thementoringplace.com. Thementoringplace.com. And I'm, I'm a mentor for two folks and I'm loving being involved. And you're incredible, Cheryl. I got to give you a plug right. because right. not only right. like, are you amazing at this, job that you have and you're so passionate about it and passionate about the people but cheryl does the same thing with mentoring other women you know i asked her you know it's a lot to mentor someone but cheryl's like i'll take a second person right and this is like two times in a row and the feedback that we get of course is incredible because she does it with such passion and compassion and love and let's go you can do this so i i got to give you a shout out i i feel like we should leave it right there it can't get better than that <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Denise, we are out of time, but this was an amazing conversation. We could go on forever. You are loaded with what I call wows, words of wisdom. Uh, you're the best. Thanks for coming and sharing. You're the best. Some Lots of love to you and everyone. Take care. Yeah, thementoringplace.com. Get involved. All right, we'll see you soon. Okay, bye bye. Wow, Denise is really a force, as I said. Uh, so I want to tell you about a couple of things we have coming up. There's two conferences uh, that are designed to help the industry prepare for unpre pre unprecedented 2021 marketplace. The first is the REACH conference. So are you and your team struggling to make sense of 2021 planning? Where to start? What insights to apply? What trends to expect? Well, the IAB has curated a strategic planning and buying summit. This is for agency decision makers and brands to come together with leading publishers to exchange ideas, understand where audiences have gone, and how to measure campaign success. 
This event's gonna take place September 29th and 30th, virtually from 12 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. Right behind the REACH conference, we have Audio Unleashed. The podcast upfronts will be over, then what? IAB has gathered leading audio advertising experts to help marketers and agency strategists turn insights into actions. IAB Audio Unleashed is a new event designed specifically for audio advertisers and buyers who want to learn about the latest trends in digital audio, how to find new audiences, and the importance of compliance and brand safety. This event will take place Friday, October 2nd from 12 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. These events are open to buy-side professionals, agencies, and brands. Speakers and agendas will be announced soon. You can register for free at iab.com events. On tomorrow's IAB there, Dentsu Aegis Network's Brian Monahan and IAB's Brad Barons will discuss evolving from media planning to audience planning. IAB there is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ants, John Ward, and Kofika Mohinenden. I'm Cheryl Goldstein. Thanks for watching. Please come back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. If it's a weekday, it's time to IAB there. Thanks again. Have a great day.